This is Pastor Stuart Schneider welcoming you to a service of worship at Community Presbyterian Church in Belfont, Kentucky. Come, let us worship the Lord together. Frankly, Jesus didn't go out of his way to make it easy for us preachers. First, he tells a neat little parable about a sower. And then, although we didn't read that portion in the middle, he takes his disciples aside and does this beautiful little excursus explaining what the parable means. So he's done all the heavy work. What's the poor preacher supposed to do? Try to prove I'm smarter than Jesus? Parables are meant to challenge the reader's prior assumptions and understandings. The proper thing for me to do would be to tell you to think about the parable, decide which portions of that parable contradicts what you've always thought, your accepted understandings, then I should sit down and leave you to it because Jesus has done all the heavy lifting for me. Of course, you probably know I'm not going to do that because I'm much too fond of the sound of my own voice, but that's what I should do. Besides, as I thought about it, even a blind hog finds an acorn now and again, so if I go through this with you, I may find something important. So we need to think about this parable as a group, and maybe we will stumble over something we didn't see before. So we begin the parable is sometimes called the parable of the four soils. And when I looked at it that way, I saw something I hadn't seen before. The good ground returns an abundant harvest, a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. That's clear enough. That's the good soil. But quite apart from the harvest, each of the other parcels of ground has its own unique contribution to make. The path, though unable to contribute to the harvest, is still a useful, even a necessary part of the farm. It's over the path that people move to and fro, sowing and reaping. They wouldn't be able to do that without the path. In the same way, the rocky ground has no soil on it because it's been washed away. The rocky ground is a drain. So it's performing a useful function. Even the thorns have a function. People of the time planted thorns as fences to mark their land with thorns. And I'd suggest next Easter time you come up and touch the crown of thorns and imagine what an effective hedge, fence, that would make. So because of the nature of each parcel, each has a contribution to make to the overall enterprise, even though only one is able to add to the harvest. It's not as if the path could somehow will itself to become productive ground and still be a path, or that the hard ground could suddenly, by an act of will, cover itself with soil and become productive, each parcel is what it was predestined to be. The next character we meet is the sower. This sower is generous to a fault with seed. 
he throws it this way and that and that way and on the, the path and on the, the rocky ground and into the thorns, just everywhere. This injudicious use of resources awakens the ghost of my great German grandfather who would say, hey, 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 be careful with that. It's expensive. You don't know what it costs. We want a harvest, not a bankruptcy. And just like that, a miracle is revealed. The sower knows full well where the path and the hard ground and the thorns are, yet off he goes, blessing everything with seed, even though he knows that there will be no return from those areas where a harvest is just not possible. Each of the different soils react or not to the blessing of seed because of what they are, what they were designed to be. Yet each of these areas performs a function necessary to the success of the entire enterprise, a function determined by its nature. Of course, parables aren't to be taken literally. We're not really speaking about seed, as Jesus explains later to his disciples, but we're speaking of the word of the kingdom the eschatological promise of the kingdom of God. This is the blessing which is showered over the unproductive ground as well as the productive ground. God's grace is showered over all of his kingdom rather than sowing only the good ground. Sounds like an odd agricultural policy to me. I mean, to spread your blessings where you know they will be ineffective, but that is God's policy. God knows that some of us just cannot understand the word of the kingdom and it is taken from them. Some of us are people of no great root and we quickly turn from the word at the first opposition. Some of us are strangled by the cares of the word world, the needs of an elderly spouse or, or uh, parent or a, a young child who is ill or maybe just simple economic pressures such that we cannot gain a root. We're choked before we can start. The limitations of all of us are known to our Father for he has elected the saints from before the foundation of the world. I'm reading now from the second Helvetic confession in our book of confessions. And it says, From eternity God has freely and of his mere grace, without any respect to men, predestinated or elected the saints whom he wills to save in Christ. Presbyterians get a lot of grief from others over predestination. It's offensive to modern ears to hear that from eternity God has freely and of his mere grace, without any respect to men, predestinated or elected the saints whom he wills to save in Christ. But really, that should be no surprise. God's free election was clear even from the birth of Jacob. Two nations are in your womb, and the two peoples born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The elder shall serve the younger. That long ago, God was exercising his will over his creation. Everybody knows that the older has the birthright, but God 
for God's reasons, chose the younger. We want to hear, what we really want to hear is that hard work and good character is rewarded, that we can, by our own wish or will, become something we are not. Drain, path, or hedgerow, God is master of his creation and uses it to accomplish his purposes. He is not bound by human notions. Jesus tells us that the seed is the word of the kingdom. The seed is scattered widely, including onto vulnerable areas where it may be snatched away, and into lives of trouble where God's children may be too overwhelmed by care to receive it, as well onto those who can make it grow. I don't hear Jesus condemning those who are too overwhelmed by life to receive the word for the, uh, for the state of their lives. I do hear Jesus saying that the harvest, a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold, will be produced by those whose lives are able to receive the word. God's word is scattered to all of his children, whether they, wherever they are in life's journey, even though so many are so heavily laden by life and its burdens that they cannot hear the word effectively. Yet God knows that the harvest will be sufficient. No one knows the identity of those predestinated as the saints of the church, for acknowledged righteousness is soon overwhelmed by pride. Embrace your role, whatever it is, following it with following it with your eyes and hearts focused on God's purposes. Amen. Please join me as we affirm our faith from the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Among the Jews, there is the story of the pillars of the universe. The pillars of the universe are 36 righteous men whose suffering supports the very universe. No one knows who they are, not even themselves. Their number remains constant in every age. Should one die, another is born at the same instant somewhere else. Even their mothers do not know who they are. 
In a beautiful poem by Mikhail Horowitz, he poses the following. Suppose for a moment that they could know themselves and not immediately combust or crumble to dust. How then would it be? Would it mean that Moshiach had finally arrived, redeeming the bleached coupon in each soul? Yes, a Christian might answer. Moshiach has arrived. Until we meet again, may God walk with you. May you walk humbly with your God. May you love justice and mercy. And may God bless you on your travels. And God's people said, Amen.